Will you pray with me as we approach God's word? God, your word has been around for literally thousands of years, and now we ask that in your presence you make it alive again and active and effective, and this only happens when we surrender and humble and yield ourselves before you. Uh, So God, please, we need your voice, we need your presence. Give us something of your wisdom today. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, when it comes to how we approach God in worship, the Bible, this old, old book, sets the tone for us. It gives us directions. Uh, In the last few months, our elders, uh, who are responsible for setting the direction of worship at Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church, uh, our elders have been talking together about how worship on Sunday morning interfaces with our mission and vision to be God's shining light and source of living water in the western suburbs. And in the midst of this conversation, Rev and I uh, discerned that this might be a good moment in the life of our church uh, to get back to the basics of the Bible about what the Bible says about worship. There are a lot of noticeable absences in Scripture about what the Bible doesn't say, For example, lots of things we're curious about. How long should a sermon be? The Bible says nothing. Be afraid. (laughs) Right? The Bible says nothing about it. Do you go to one of those churches that does like those weird responsive reading things? Should we do that? The Bible says nothing about that. How long should a worship service be? What kind of music does God prefer? Gregorian chant? Salsa? R&B? English hymnody, contemporary rock. The Bible says nothing about what kind of music, what style of music should be. All these things that we spend a lot of time and energy and imagination on, silence in Scripture. However, the Bible does say some incredibly profound and significant and directional things to us, and this is what we want to dwell in. So for the next two weeks, we're going to spend two weeks in what Scripture communicates about the worship of the one true God in the Old Testament. A little later in the year, we're going to hear about what God teaches about worship in the New Testament. And then a little later in the year, we'll have a little bit on God's vision of the kind of worship that is happening for all eternity in heaven. And hopefully, through speaking about these things, our own agendas and opinions will fall a little more in line with what truly matters to the heart of God. Does that seem clear? Okay. In the Old Testament, the primary way of connecting to God is through acts of sacrifice in worship. This is a huge word in the Old Testament. Sacrifice. Just to make sure you've got it, say with me, sacrifice. This is one of the main threads that God weaves through the story of his good news in the Old Testament that is intended to reach us and set us free. But it's an idea, like the literal, I'm not talking about metaphorical sacrifice, I'm talking about literal sacrifice here. It seems like a foreign and primitive and barbaric even concept to us as New Testament Christians. Um, I've done a lot of reading on the topic of sacrifice the last month. I might be wrong about this, 
but I'm offering to you, as far as I can tell, all the sacrifices described and made in the Old Testament roughly fall into one of two groups. There are uh, offerings of thanksgiving. This is when you praise God and make a sacrifice to say, thank you, thank you, thank you. And the posture is basically open-handed, arms raised, bless the name of the Lord, thank you. Here's the sacrifice. There's this worship song, we bring a sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. It's exactly that. The other main category of sacrifice, as far as I can tell, are those sacrifices not where our arms are raised, but where our hands are folded, where our knees are bent, where our foreheads touch the ground, and when we are in desperation asking for help. The kind of sacrifices that God is making the sacrifice because without you intervening or doing something, I'm not going to make it. We can't do this on our own. Prayers of confession, prayers for forgiveness, of contrition, those all fall into this category. God, I'm a sinner. Help me. Help me. Help me. So the big th- one of the big themes in the Old Testament, sacrifice, two categories. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Help us, help us, help us. By the way, this is still, as far as I can tell, the main two spiritual movements or postures or spiritual things that drive all of us, if we're honest about it. Pretty much all our prayers can either be, thank you, bless you, wow, or help, or huh. If you have little kids or grandkids, these two phrases are a great way to teach them how to pray. We used to do that at, this, at our house with our kids, like mealtime or before tucking into bed. What's one thing that you can really thank God for today? What's thing, one thing that we know the world needs help with or that you need help with or that we and our friends need help with? Like if you can, a two-year-old can do this. Thank you. Help. And it's the most profound and biblical prayers that exist. So first off, sacrifices of thanksgiving. There was a time, only a couple short chapters in the Bible, at the beginning of Scripture, where the world was new and fresh, and God walked with our first parents, Adam and Eve. Because they had not sinned, they could be in God's holy presence and literally walk side by side somehow in the presence of God. But after they fell into sin, the world, our world, became a vastly different place. It's still beautiful. It's still receptive to us in many ways, but it is also hostile and harsh and in trouble in so many ways. Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel, these twin boys, are the first humans who are recorded making a sacrifice to God. Now, brother Cain farmed the land, And Genesis chapter 4 tells us that he made an offering of uh, his produce, of his harvest. His brother Abel tended flocks and herds, and he made an offering of the best, choicest parts of the firstborn of his flock. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us why they made these sacrifices, but I think the pretty strong implication is they were supposed to give God the first and the best of what God had provided from them in a now sin-infected world. God was keeping them alive with food and healthy animals and shelter and clothing, and this was their way of saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. 
the first sacrifice. I mean, there's echoes of this still today. Every worship service here, we take an offering as a way of responding to what God might be saying to us or the way God is present in our life, and we give, Lord willing, the first and best, our tithes to say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Just a few chapters later in the Bible, a few generations later, there's this guy, Noah. He spends 100 years building an ark with his family. I mean, like, that's a head-scratcher, right? 100 years, and then he is on this ark with all the animals and his extended family for 370 days, the Bible says. I mean, that'd be a lot of animals in a, like, you know, like, that's a lot of work. The first thing Noah and his children do after getting out of the ark after 370 days is to build an altar and make a sacrifice. Genesis 8, verse 20 says this, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of the clean animals, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. Now, this is a guy who had spent 100 years building a boat, more than a year, keeping these animals alive, and then the first thing he does in a depopulated earth is kill some of the animals. Does that seem nonsensical? But it's Noah's way of saying, God, thank you for preserving life on earth, and we trust you so much. Here is an offering of thanks that you are going to save us and preserve us and keep this world going. This is still what we do. We thank God and bless his name and praise him for life. The other main motivation in the Old Testament for making sacrifices is to ask for help. Uh, After the Israelites had been in slavery for 400 years, God raised up Moses and Aaron to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. At least that's, that's the way I learned it. If you actually read the story of Moses talking to Pharaoh, what Moses typically says is this. Pharaoh, let Yahweh's people go so that they might worship the Lord and make right sacrifices in the desert. So he's saying, let my people go. But the reason, the motivation for freeing the people is so they can worship and to make sacrifices. And Pharaoh says time and time again, no, plague, no, plague. Rinse, wash, repeat nine times. And finally, Moses says, Let us go so we can worship the Lord and make right sacrifices in the wilderness or the firstborn of every household in this land will die, human and animal. Still, Pharaoh says no. And God provides an escape clause for the people who know him and love him and fear him. And God says, take an unblemished, year-old lamb or goat and kill it and take its blood and paint your doorway. And when the angel of death comes through the land, it will see the spotless blood of this lamb and your house will be passed over. So literally, millions of people kill Sacrifice, use the blood, eat this unblemished lamb. And it's their way of saying, oh, God, help us, because 
death is coming, and unless you rescue us and pass us over, it's the end for all of us. In the book of Leviticus, which has a pretty bad rap, by the way, there's all kinds of directions about all kinds of sacrifices. Leviticus chapter 4 is about a particular burnt offering for the forgiveness of the people's sins. And a priest lays his hand on the head of an innocent animal and slits its throat and sprinkles the blood on the altar and then burns the animal into complete ash and oblivion. And this innocent animal represents the sin of the people, which instead of killing us, all that guilt, all that shame, all that sin is symbolized and heaped onto the head of this innocent. Did I use the word barbaric before or primitive? I mean, can you imagine if we came to worship on Sunday and there was a little flock of sheep just through that window right there? And you heard the scraping of knives as you came in here? I mean, for thousands of years, hundreds of years, this was God's way of getting his people to understand the nature of sacrifice. Sacrifice is a profound way. It's a matter of life and death, of showing us that all of us need help with who we are, with our stuff, our sin. And in the New Testament, after Jesus, in the book of Hebrews, there's this very direct phrase, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Could that be more clear? I would like something a little tidier. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. If there is guilt, there is a blood price. Okay. Uh, So at our house, we have this 20-year-old kid who is now living in Spain. And she has learned, living in another country, that she has to ask for help with all kinds of things that are no problem in America. You know, like directions, how to find this place, how to do this thing, how to make this food that she's not made before. I mean, she's asking for help time and time and time again. And uh, she just communicated that her uh, Spanish dad dropped this lovely little parable on her, which is, El que no llora, no mama. Did I get this right? It basically means, if you don't cry you don't get your mama. You don't get your mother's milk. You know, the crying baby is the one that gets fed. Unless you ask for help, you're not going to get any help. It's lovely in Spanish. El que llora, no mama. I'm such an idiotic, proud American. Most of the time, the last thing I want to do is ask for help. But one of the deep spiritual threads if we want to know God and worship him properly, is that on a a regular way, we have to be on our knees making the sacrifice desperate for God's help. I'm not going to make it on my own. God in his kindness asks for this sacrifice. God could, before we knew our needs, or could imagine, he could just 
Give us whatever we stand in need of. God does not want to produce a bunch of spoiled children. God wants us to be aware, deeply aware, of what we need help with, of our deficiencies, of our weaknesses. And in that awareness, to come to him and say, Oh God, will you meet me even here? Sacrifices of help, sacrifices of thanksgiving. Now again, to us modern, educated people, all this sacrificial stuff seems brutal, primitive, but it was never, ever, ever just about the blood or just about the flesh. God is always, through sacrifice, chasing more of us. Through sacrifice, he is trying to get at more of his people, more of you and me, the folks he loves and desires so much. In the book of Samuel, uh, King Saul made some totally botched sacrifices, and Samuel says to him, very important phrase, to obey is better than sacrifice. Like, you can get the animal part right, king, but unless your heart is being offered as a sacrifice to God, like, that part doesn't count so much. And in Psalm 51, King David himself writes, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. What God is after through this deep thread of sacrifice in the Old Testament is not animal blood or the burning of flesh. That is not his end game. What he is after is us. He is after our blood. God is after our flesh. And even more than that, he is after our minds and our intellect. And even more than that, he is after the deepest part of our spirit. He is after our desires. He is after our soul. I hope this doesn't sound creepy, but God wants all of you, the whole lot. And he is asking us, he is inviting us. And again, this is so much more important than sermon length or song style or response. Like God is asking all of us in worship to make a sacrifice of ourselves to him to lay on on the altar our deepest thanks and our deepest needs. Uh, There's a poem I learned uh, nearly 25 years ago that has been a great help for me in this Uh, Because when it comes to offering myself as a sacrifice, there's both the, I think, the healthy part of me that, like, longs and strives to do that. And there's also the part of me that's like, thank you, God, very much. Like, I'm pretty good, like, on my own. Can we, can I not, (laughs) like, do all of the whole thing? So 400 years ago, there was an English, an Englishman, an English pastor named George Herbert. He wrote sets of uh, very profound poems, and one of his poems is called The Altar. Um, Now, he wrote it in such a way that when he published it, I mean, the words of this poem itself form the shape of an altar. Kind of clever. Uh, This poem is printed on the back page of your announcements today. Um, For some of you, it might be good to hang on to this thing. There is one kind of funky word. I mean, he wrote it 400 years ago in English. English. The opening line is, if we can see it, a broken altar, Lord, thy servant rears 
Now, sometimes we talk about rearing a child. He is making or raising up an altar. Um, I really want to share this poem with you, so I'm going to sing a short musical version and uh, invite you to take it in. Lord, thy servant rears, made of a heart cemented with tears, whose parts are as thy handed frame, no workman's tool hath touched the a stone There's nothing but thy power can cut Wherefore each part of my hard heart meets in this frame to praise thy name And if I chance to hold my peace these stones to praise thee may not cease. Oh, let thy blessed sacrifice be mine and sanctify this altar to be thine. A heart alone is such a stone. Nothing but thy power doth cut Wherefore each part of my hard heart Meets in this frame to praise thy name Meets in this frame to praise thy name Meets in this frame to praise thy name. So it turns out that the sacrifice that God is most interested in is us. God intends to take our hearts of stone and turn them, resurrect them into living hearts of flesh, tender and vulnerable and lasting. It's not a perfect altar that we build. It is an altar of, yes, our virtues, the gifts God gives us, our strengths, our competencies. It is also an altar of the stuff that we're mediocre at. It is also an altar of our trouble and our frailty. All of that, 
God wants. He wants us to (laughs) raise, to rear these lives of ours, all the pieces for him, to belong to him. Now, what does this look like? Uh, One thing that occurs to me is that uh, it was Missions Sunday here last week at Elmhurst CRC. One of the things we do is we take the tithes and offerings of our church and uh, we give a lot of it to outside causes. Like our church is sacrificing our dollars and cents together for the good of the world. We don't just keep it all here local and in-house. One of our missionaries uh, that we support just in the last couple weeks was physically beaten up because he was out in the world representing Jesus. Like, do it as a living sacrifice. A woman from our congregation just this last week literally gave up a kidney out of Christian love so that someone else might have life. I mean, it was Valentine's Day this week. Few people remember that 1,800 years ago, Valentinus was... Uh, a Christian leader in Rome when it was illegal to be a Christian and he couldn't shut up about Jesus. In particular, he was known for working with uh, young couples and performing Christian marriages and he lost his life. Like, those are like dramatic blockbuster ways to be a living sacrifice, right? God is for sure interested in those. God is equally interested in what we do on a day-to-day basis. There's a telling moment each day when we open our eyes in the morning, when we're still lying on our bed. There's a crucial thing that happens because if you're like me, all the thoughts and worries and responsibilities of the day can fairly quickly start making a list in your head. What do I need to be concerned about? What do I need to do? What am I getting done today? That is not bad. However, it is not the first thing. It is not the most important thing. A much better way, a much wiser way, while we're still lying on our bed, is to open our eyes and offer a sacrifice of thanks. And then to offer a sacrifice of help. Oh, God, I can't even organize my thoughts. Like, unless you guide my steps and lead me along the way, this day is going to amount to nothing. I want to follow you, Jesus. Like, that's a good way to start the day. God is interested in our making a living sacrifice of our time, of our words, of our feelings, of our preferences. I mean, for each of us sitting here today, I know there is something that the Holy Spirit, if you could hear it, if you're open to hear it, is whispering to you about that he wants you to lay on the altar or, you, or the next invitation is for you to take this rock of your life and add it to the altar. There is something for each one of us. Now, God does not want us to be Christian doormats. That is not the point of this. He is not trying to eradicate our feelings, our words, our thoughts, our preferences, our desires. That is not the point of this. God wants us to be the strong kind of people who are in touch with ourselves, who knows our feelings, thoughts, 
desires, what we want to say, our preferences, and who in the strength of knowing that about ourselves, if the moment comes when we're supposed to use that and speak out of that, amen, and if the moment comes where we're supposed to lay that on the altar, amen. You can only make a sacrifice out of possessing and owning, not out of weakness and ignorance and denial. You hear me on this? There's too much out in the world that's just telling us we ought to be just nice boys and girls and doormat Christian people. No. God wants strength to make a sacrifice. In maybe the most mysterious story in all of the Bible, God asked Abraham to lay down his one and only precious son, Isaac, on an altar. Abraham, who is said to be the father of all the faithful, the father of faith. Like, God God is asking for a human sacrifice? What? You can't be asking for that, God. And God asks Abraham, will you trust my promise? Will you trust our covenant, my vow, my... Will Abraham do it? Abraham does. He sets the wheels in motion. He he would. And then God ends up providing the perfect sacrifice. It turns out it's not his son Isaac. Friends, if you read the whole of Scripture... This thread of sacrifice goes all the way through. But if you get to the pages of the New Testament, it becomes clear that Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, is the perfect sacrifice. We are told in Scripture that Christ was killed for us, sacrificed on the wood of the cross, and that his once-for-all-time death has washed our sins away That through his death, he has disabled death. And that through his rising from that stone tomb, he has opened up the path of life to everybody who follows him. Like That is the formula. That is Christianity. Real life comes through sacrifice. And that's why it's such an important thread in our worship together. Without sacrifice, there is no real life. A willing submission to humiliation and a kind of death. Sacrifice is not something that God demands of you before he takes you into his good graces. You know what I'm saying? It's not like God is waiting for you to like make the altar and okay, God, I'm I'm surrendering, I'm all here. Sacrifice is the description of what being with God actually is. Like it's the thing. It's not a condition of being with God, it is the thing. Our life, the altar. We, an imperfect sacrifice. And then Jesus, as the perfect sacrifice. So that when God looks on our poorly cobbled together, the stones of our life, he sees the perfect, unblemished Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and says, that is a sacrifice that is pleasing to me. And we are included. Is that good news for anybody? Like, Amen. Amen? Okay. 
And if the altar of your life has been touched with the perfect life of Jesus Christ, how could it be that you're not going to live forever? Like your life has been joined with Christ. And if you never make an altar out of your life and your life isn't touched by Jesus Christ, how can your life have any other outcome but to wither away and die because it hasn't been touched by eternity? God wants you and me so much, loves you and me so much, desires us, all of us. That's why Romans 12, 1 puts it this way, linking sacrifice with worship. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, what Jesus did on the cross, offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is what worship is about. Not the sermons, not the readings, not the style of the songs. It is about our making our lives an altar for Jesus Christ to make his sacrifice upon. One final challenge here, friends. Um, So often in making our sacrifices of praise and help, we thank God for the good things and we ask for help with the tough things. If you were paying attention to Karen's prayer today, she did exactly the opposite. And I would invite you, if you're praying together with your small group, with some friends, maybe in your own private prayers, to try to do exactly the opposite. Like to take what you are currently having great success with, what people are patting you on the back for, what people are paying you too much money for, like whatever, and saying, oh God, this part of my life, like thank you for the success, but I'm such a proud person Please save me from myself in the midst of my success. Help me honor you and not just aggrandize myself. Because God, I'm a proud jerk. Like, that's a whole different way to pray about your blessings or successes. Help me so it doesn't kill me. An even more difficult thing is to take what is currently difficult or painful, or trying you, and to say, not perversely, God, thank you for pain and sickness and death. Not that. But to say, God, I know you're faithful. I bless your name in advance because you're the kind of God that takes the broken things of the world and makes beautiful things. I don't see it yet, God, but I bless you for taking the broken things in my life and applying Jesus' resurrection power even to that. Whether I live to see it or not, God, I offer a sacrifice of praise. That's a spiritually powerful prayer. If you can get your, (laughs) speaking to myself, if you can get your little heart around that. Mm. Lord God, here we are this morning in your presence. We do, from the bottom of our heart, offer you thanks Thanks, thanks. And in our smallness, in our deficiencies, in our pride, we say, oh, Lord Jesus, help us, save us, forgive us, heal us, restore us. It's all about you. God, I'm so not clever. Sometimes I can't even see what bricks go into the altar. Sometimes... Just you need to whisper and show me the blueprint again. God, help us honor you.
through your chosen sacrifices. In Jesus' name we pray all this. And everybody said, amen. Um, This is the point in the service where we offer our tithes and offerings. Invite the deacons forward and invite you to make this part of your sacrifice of praise to God.